Welcome to Fuji Love. This is the show that is all about the Fujifilm X-Series and GFX cameras, but more importantly, it's about the photographers who love to use them. I'm Mark Sadowski, and this show is brought to you by Fuji Love Magazine. For the latest and greatest in all things Fujifilm X-Series and GFX, whether it's news, interviews, and so much more, head on over to fujilove.com. Subscribe today. And now, on with the show. My guest this week is Jonathan Belaski. He is an environmental portrait photographer, an amazing Fujifilm photographer. I had a great time, great conversation with him. Let's give it a listen. Like I, I initially saw uh, your work. I was introduced to you through some of uh, Fujifilm's uh, promotional videos that they recorded. I, I yep. think it was for... The most recent one, the, the first one that I saw was for the uh, GFX tilt shift lens, which you were making some stunning work. Um, and, and then I looked at some of the previous stuff and I realized that I have known about you for quite some time because one of the videos that I found uh, when I was uh, looking you up is your phase one video from, I think it was 2015. Oh, probably with, uh, was that with Masai Ujari? Uh, it was, uh, you were doing some photography at a brewery with, uh, okay, yes, a guy yes. named, uh, Madek. Madek, uh, yep. Yeah. And, and it was, sure. oh, wow. I, I, I've seen this before. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, one of the first videos that I fell in love with, and I still have it saved in my YouTube profile, is, uh, Tim Kempel's. Uh, no vacations. Uh, I, I call it no vacations because that's how it starts. But it's his. He he's doing photography in, uh, I think South America or or someplace tropical. <laughs> yeah, and, and just him using the Phase One technology uh, down there. It, it it was a video that struck near and dear to me because of how it was filmed and uh and, and what he was doing and then from then on i've been uh even before i i i loved fujifilm i i was watching these videos and one of the videos was uh what was your video of uh you photographing in the brewery so yeah that was very yeah i definitely remember that video now because like that was when i was launching a project back in the day when I started, it was kind of my for the love of it project. And yes, uh, you know, it was one of those things where it was like we were doing stuff. I got so sick of doing composite work for the longest time because we were doing a lot of stuff for uh, the NHL and the NBA and all that type of stuff at that time doing composite work. And then I'm just like, you know what, let's go back to basics. And that's exactly what uh, that was. And yeah, that was 2013. Well, started in 2012, 2013. And yeah, that was like a 2015 with phase one, uh, that video. Yeah. So and that, that was definitely uh, before I switched over to the GFX system. But, you know, not that far off, though. That's the thing. Like, it wasn't that <laughs> uh, wasn't that long ago. Right. So, I'm glad they captured it before you made the switch. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So like I was a phase one adapter for a long time like that that's the the interesting part especially when i talk about a lot of the uh 
the Fuji stuff using the GFX. Like even when I launched like the the GFX 100 Mark II, um, like a lot of people have been always saying like, John, have you ever used phase one? And it's like, yeah, no, I, I've used it since early, like since the early 2000s, like when it was like an H25 back and an H20 back. And, uh, you know, and it's funny because it's like I, I've owned all the way up to the 100 megapixel phase kits yeah um prior and uh you know it's it's very interesting because people are like well how do they compare and it's like guys they're, they're two totally different systems right like this is the thing and they're like well why'd you leave phase and i'm like well there's a lot of reasons i left phase <laughs> so <laughs> and uh you know and they're like well do you regret it and it's like absolutely not not a bit so i went straight to the gfx 50 and like when jerry from uh, fujifilm canada uh first brought it in my hands it was just one of those things he's like okay i know you're shooting phase john but i want you to shoot this if you can for one shoot and then it's like he brought it over on one of my environmental portrait sessions and we shot with it and i'm like okay yep that's it we're switching that's, that's all that's all it was it was like oh you oh, want this back yeah exactly. right my cold dead hands <laughs> exactly and like food uh jerry was like so you think you're gonna get a kid and i'm like yeah okay i gotta place my order don't worry i'll do it so <laughs> and uh we switched my studio over but it was purely just because it could autofocus like it could actually focus properly and like the colors were actually like the film that i liked before because like i started shooting four by five film oh wow like that's where so like my first camera that i ever bought was a linhoff technica four by five Oh, very and, cool. Well, before we go into that, I'm speaking with Jonathan Belaski. Did I say that right? Uh, Jonathan Belaski. Yep. Belaski. Right on. Um, he is, uh, you are an official Fujifilm X photographer, correct? Yes, correct. Awesome. <laughs> the one thing I should have uh, had stored to memory, I, I, I totally forgot. I was geeking out over your videos. Um, he is a Fujifilm X photographer, a amazing portrait photographer you are uh, an environmental portrait photographer correct yep that is uh one of the main genres that i actually uh do a lot of my work in is environmental portrait photography so what does that entail because in my mind an environmental portrait photographer would be somebody who's very focused on uh outdoor environmental shots uh but what what does it actually entail for for your line of work? Yeah, so for an environmental portrait photographer like myself, it's one of those things. It's like we go into people's environments. So whether it's a workplace, an outdoor space, or even like their home or a living arrangement or anything like that. And we're creating a portrait of them within their environment. So not only does it matter, like it's a mixing between portraiture and, you know, like room slash environmental photography, because it's like we're trying to tell a whole story within one image. So that's where, you know, we have our subject or our person that we're actually photographing within their workspace, for example. And then all the surrounding details the foreground, the background support what this person does. So then that way you get the sense of who they are, what they're doing, 
where they've been, where they're going, all within one frame. That's the biggest thing about an environmental portrait. It's not necessarily taking the word environmental as in like conservatory or like, you know, um, eco-friendly or anything like that. It's taking environmental as the environment. Right. It's so it's, it's kind of a blend between portraiture and well, well, still life is probably not the right word, but I I get what you're saying. You're, You're trying to encapsulate the whole story of this person into a into a still photo exactly and like that's where you know you kind of have to be like for me like it's always fascinated me by going into people's lives kind of getting that glimpse of them whether i'm in a kitchen or out on a farm or you know in the middle of iceland working with divers or anything like that where it's like we're capturing like a snapshot of their life but telling a whole story with a wider view. Yeah. So, so it, it, it's, you know, it's something people fascinate me. Like stories fascinate me. It's I'm always wondering, it's like, who are you? And what do you do? And why do you do that? Right. So, so that's where it's, uh, it's kind of blended a lot of my interests into, you know, into just, you know, ex- exploration of what I actually do. And your work is absolutely phenomenal uh i would recommend everybody go check out your website or just go check out your instagram uh john uh beleski.com uh jonathan beleski.com or uh john beleski it's going to be in the notes uh, and i keep butchering your last name which oh, is all good which is ironic because uh it, it's a polish last name right it is. It is. Uh, it's, I'm Polish too, and I'm totally, <laughs> totally uh, uh, messing it up. I I keep wanting to say it in the 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 Polish phonetic rather than the is you know doing the English translation, and uh, I, I keep getting in the way of myself. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, the way you capture a person uh, either working on a project or even just sitting among their, uh, their, their tools uh, or, or, or just their, their work setting. Beautiful. And, and it, it is, it's very engaging and like, like this, this surreal feeling to, to where they are. It, it's such a, on the surface can be such a mundane place but when you have them seated or, or standing in their in their in their in their environment it all it becomes such a surreal moment and i think it captures it real nice you are really really awesome at your work thank you yeah it's it's one of those things you know that you you know everybody has a story right like this is the biggest thing and you can take like the most mundane person but make them look like a superhero or otherworldly basically and it's it's showing people and working with people that aren't used to being in front of the camera is what i love because like even like even nowadays like even in my commercial work you know we're 90 percent working with people that aren't usually in front of the camera like for example like i was i was just down on a shoot 
uh, where we were in three different states working in industrial areas. So like we were in like a crane operation, we had a trucking operation, and then we had a uh, a bus coach line operation. And we had to do environmental portraits in all four of those or three of those spots. And it's like, none of those people have ever been in front of a camera. And they're all worried about like, well, the background, like, do we have to clean up the shop? Do we have to do this? Do we have to do that? It's like, no, no, don't worry. Everything's going to be fine. It's just going to be like you, but it's going to look totally different. And the nice thing is, is like, we're shooting tethered all the time. So I love showing you know, the people, what they look like. And then they're always like, whoa, that's actually what my shop looks like, or that's what this looks like. And it's like, yeah, no, you can do it. But it's also like taking that scene and making it very cinematic. Like, that's what I really like doing. That's a great explanation. Is utilizing their environment to make it a cinematic setting. And then like one of the big ways that I do that is we utilize both the ambient light but then always augment that lighting with either leds or strobes as well so it's you know you can't it's kind of that fine line between like heavily produced heavily lit like imagery but at the same time everything looks 100 percent realistic so it's it's that very fine line of where where ambient begins and where artificial comes in for the lighting techniques yeah and uh you know having that good mix and living on that edge there um really makes the difference because then it's like it could be real but is it real but what's happening like how is this all working out and uh i just love that look that feel so so when looking through your photos i see everybody is very at ease, very calm, uh, very relaxed. How do you go about making this happen? Like what, what is involved in in the pre-production to get this final result? Because I would imagine, like you said, people are, uh, not used to being in front of a camera. So how do you get them so relaxed in front of a camera? Definitely. And that's, that's something that I've always worked on. You know, it's one of those things, again, like I said, like, I love learning about people and hearing their stories. So a lot of the times what I'll do is before I even go into a a situation, like, let's say, you know, I'm working with like, theoretical physicists for like, in, uh, like a quantum computing institute. Well, what I'll actually do is I'll go in and research what they're researching on and then learn about them. So kind of do some like background detective work and find out what they like and find out, you know, just little, you know, little snippets about them. And then, you know, even before we touch the camera we'll like i'll sit down and just have a candid conversation with them you know just listen to them listen to their story where they came from you know where they want to go what they want to do you know kind of just make that the situation not about the photography and then you know it's it's one of those things too when we are setting up all the lighting and setting up the cameras and everything like that it's just making it at ease for for the subject for the person that we're actually photographing or profiling because then what we can do is 
you know, I can set the camera up. We're usually on a tripod, so everything is off to the side. And then I don't even look through the viewfinder anymore because I know we're going to get everything that we need in the shot and we can always reframe a little bit. And then I'm just looking at them. I'm just talking to them as we're going through. You know, I might say, oh, look at my hand over here. And then let's give a little bit of a smile or a half smile, look into the lens of the camera. But then again, just talking them throughout the actual session and talking them like, you know, if they like, Talking about their kids, we'll talk about their kids, talk about their dog, talk about the weather. But actually knowing a lot about what they're doing, especially if we're doing a profile about somebody in their career, uh, is very important. Because once you get that familiarity, like for example, like when we were down um, a couple of weeks ago talking about like the, uh, the bus lines. You know, it's like, yeah. oh, yeah, I researched like I knew about the buses, like the coaches. So it's like I knew where they were manufactured. I knew the engines that they used. So then it's like when we were photographing the mechanic, we could have a conversation about them. And then he's like, oh, so you actually know about what I'm doing. So that's that's more interesting. And then you can gauge their attention. And uh, and then it's like, oh, you know, we're kind of on the same playing field. Everybody's just kind of do something really neat so so again it makes them more relaxed especially when you're it's just like you're just talking with a friend and that's yeah. what uh that's what you have to make everybody feel like is just you're talking with a friend that's amazing uh, so when you're meeting with uh these individuals and, and doing the interview process i'm, I'm curious do who who's the end client that you're producing photos for? Is it individuals that are looking for this kind of portrait style or are there uh, like, are you hired by like magazines or newspapers to do these pro profile photos for? Uh, I'm just curious. Cause. It, yeah, definitely. Like, yeah. Like there's, there's a broad, spectrum of clients that we work with like we do a lot of like i do a lot of annual report work which is one avenue um for like research institutes or educational institutes like you know we're doing like their view books their pitch books their ad campaigns and stuff like that for for the educational side and then there's a whole nother sector where it's all we're doing um the style work for ad campaigns um, for industrial work or profiles or banks or anything like that. And then there also is that editorial segment that wants this type of work as well for like when I shoot for like Sports Illustrated, um, we'll do this type of thing with pro athletes or like I'm shooting for various other magazines where we're doing this type of thing for their specific niches where they're profiling somebody. So it's it's usually when they're this the person is getting profiled for what they're doing so that's bringing them into their best light and uh likewise too it's like i'll do it just for you know for the love of it too because it's like there's some interesting people that it's just like hey you know let's talk to them and uh but a lot of a lot of times it's where it's profiled for a 
end commercial use for like an advertisement or a profile online or a social media post or anything like that. Amazing. It's again, stunning work. And what is the gear that you're using currently uh, today uh, for, for all your work? Yeah, so a lot. Well, like right now, I'm using all Fujifilm gear and everything from like my favorite go to camera for, you know, if I'm going on a small portable shoot, like on my website, there's a bunch of stuff from um, Washington Beef that we were on a couple of years ago. Um, that was all shot with an X100V and an X100F. I love those cameras. They're absolutely amazing, stellar stuff. And then we utilize the X-H2Ss for all our motion stuff. So we do a lot of motion portraits like this stuff for profiles. And then we have, like I have X-T5 as my little go-to when I'm using a secondary camera. Um, But my primary camera right now is the GFX 100 Mark II. So it is, it's kind of like my go-to, uh, it was the original GFX 100 and then, yeah, everything now is the, uh, GFX 100 Mark II. How are you liking the, the new, uh, Mark II? You know what the Mark II, you know, it's kind of like when we had the first one, the first 100, it was amazing. It was different. There was some little quirks. A lot of people are like, oh yeah, is it going to be worth upgrading? I skipped over all the S's series, like the, or sorry, like the, yeah, the 100S and the 50 um, S Mark II. Skipped all over those, and then went straight to the uh, the 100 uh, Mark II originally. And then it's just it's a it's a total different camera, and absolutely love it. Like, and there's little nuances that people, some people are getting, like are seeing it, but some people aren't. Um, like just for little example. things. Like for example, like little things like the the 10 gigabit per second uh, USB C port is a game changer for me, um, especially when I'm doing stuff with like when I'm doing my pro athlete uh, marketing day photography, and the fact that we can tether with never buffering out, and that's like it's a it's a major game changer um, for when I'm doing those media days. And, uh, that, that alone was, uh, worth the upgrade for me. And then like other little things, like, you know, when I was just on another shoot, we were shooting, uh, a motion spot, but we had to shoot some environmental portraits, just quickly pickups and, you know, not even thinking about it, picking up the camera, shooting with the, uh, 8517 and not, not even really thinking too much about it, picked it up, put it to F2, shot. I was looking at my capture card. Everything was sharp. And then afterwards, like after we finished the quick session, I looked down and I'm like, I was shooting at like a 30th of a second, 20th of a second handout. I'm like, why didn't you guys tell me this? And they're like, (laughs) they're like, everything was sharp, John. There was nothing to tell you about. And I'm like, okay. That's fine. So, but like, but like little things like that, like you forget about the camera. If the camera becomes, you know, even like that, it's like when we're shooting at F2 or F17, and like 90% of the shots, the eyes were 100% sharp. 
And it's like on a medium format, you would never think about that before. You'd always yeah. be at like five, six, eight, or F9, somewhere around there to get the background blurred out. And uh, just so little things like that. So that's where it's like the new GFX. Like it almost is the camera where I'm thinking, I'm like, okay, we're at the point where this could be a camera for a very long time that I'm going to be using. It was, yeah, I, I, when it was first launched, uh, it, it totally surprised me. I was expecting just like a, a, a very typical upgrade, just, you know, it's going to have more dynamic range or, 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 or something along that lines. It's I thought it was going to be incremental. And then when I saw the speed increase, it just, it just floored me and, and yeah, I got to use it myself, and I, I was really, really impressed with, uh, with with the speed. And uh, I, I still won't switch to it myself because, for me personally, the 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 X series is is the is the weight that I want. I can't <laughs> I can't handle sure. the, the the weight itself uh, for what I do. But for I mean. It, it doesn't look like you have to do a whole lot of moving for, for your job uh, it, from like, you know, great distances. I mean, um, yeah. So, it, it, and, and the resolution is completely benefiting you. Oh, like, for sure. Yeah. Like the, the resolution, the size, like that is the thing that, you know, even like I consider it when we're doing certain jobs where it's like the size factor is a big thing but you know it's you know when i'm going on an environmental portrait it's basically i'm taking two lenses like my two favorite uh lenses and that's about what i shoot with like the you know so we'll take a body well we'll usually take two bodies and two lenses and if i know i'm just doing an environmental portrait um but yeah like if we're doing a lot of commercial work definitely we have to shoot with the the gfx it's just for me there's there's no substitute if we're doing like high-end commercial work but at the same time you know like your your comment uh, about the size and everything like that there's like a really really big love for me with that x100v like i have two of them i use them all the time i carry with them with me you know, we do some amazing environmental portraits with the X100V and just a single strobe um, that we carry around with us. And, you know, that little kit has done me so well for the longest time as well. So it, it's kind of like it's it's weird because I go to the two extremes, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, go, I go with the, you know, with my full grip truck and my capture carts and all that type of stuff. And then on the other side, you know, I'm going with my X100V with a single light and an iPad. <laughs> so it, it's 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 a very, uh, you know, conflicted way of, of thinking a lot of the times, but every situation has its different need. Like if I'm just flying somewhere that we're just going carry on only, you know, you can't be taking a ton of stuff. Right. So, you know, like for example, like if I go into like a, a mining situation, like I was just at a, a diamond mine before COVID and we were allowed 20 pounds worth of gear totally. So yeah. that, inclu that included our clothes for the week. Well, the clothes for the four days, 
all our camera equipment, all the lighting equipment, everything. We were allowed 20, I was allowed 20 pounds. So it's kind of like, well, what do you take? You take a, a speed light, you know, two bar, like two X100s and uh, the two conversion lenses and an iPad and then your clothes. And then likewise, like when I'm doing stuff um, locally here or even uh, um, anywhere across Canada, most of the time, you know, we'll bring our grip truck and our, you know, all these types of things like our capture cart and monitors and everything like that. So it's like, it's the flip side you know every situation's a little bit different right yeah man i really regret selling my x100 fee <laughs> <laughs> you know it's and you can't get them that's the thing yeah like, they are like a unicorn camera and it's like you know definitely it's uh it is there's something about it like i'll i'll like it's it's very funny because like i'll show um some people like I always go back to the Washington beef story because like that was my, my uh, probably the biggest shoot that we did. It was a, a week long shoot. And all I brought was the X 100 V's. There was no backup. There was no going. And we were in the middle of nowhere. So like it's in the middle of Northeast and you know, there's no stores within like, you know, four or five hours from us. So if anything that we needed to switch out was going to happen, but I, absolutely the x100v and at that time i had an x100f as a backup worked flawlessly and it's funny because the clients at the first were like so you're shooting with that camera and, <laughs> and i'm like oh yeah and then like we literally shot i think it was the first portrait and they're like oh oh okay yeah no <laughs> i understand now it's like yes and like you know it's funny because like i was just talking at a conference uh, last week and you know we were talking about a lot about motion and stills and everything like that and it's like as long as you know your sandbox and you know how to play within your sandbox you're totally fine you know it's like you just have to know the utmost extremes that you can push your cameras to so that's where it's like i tell anybody that's testing out a new camera it's like take it to the extreme of both levels that you yeah. want you know do the simple stuff that you do all the time but then give it a go with everything that you possibly will be doing the most extreme stuff with and uh you know know where your limits are and then if you play within those limits, you're always going to get great results. But if you try to do something that you know is going to be outside the limits, you know, it's a 50-50 chance. You don't know. And do you want to do that on a job, right? So, so I mean, playing sometimes with, you have to. <laughs> no, some. That's why you bring two. <laughs> well, definitely. Like, yeah, you know, we've had we've had cameras go in water. We've had cameras drop. You know, we've had cameras do lots of different things. Um, but yeah, it is. Uh, it is always a an interesting time. That's awesome. I, yeah, I need to get an X one hundred again. <laughs> <laughs> Although right at this moment, I'm at the time of this recording, it's November, and uh, the the rumor is that there might be another X100 that's announced sometime in January. So I am like just in a standstill, just waiting to see what happens in January. 
Oh, I think we all are. Like, I have no clue. And like, I've been, I've been telling them like since I've been doing a lot of shoots with my X100. I'm like, hey, you know, if there is anything, just let me know. I'd love to play with it. <laughs> but you know, and they're like, yeah, yeah, John, we'll tell you eventually. Like, you know, and it's like, well, I don't know. I have no clue. So it was the same. <laughs> it was the same with the GFX. It's like, you know, when they're just like, oh yeah, John, we're you're gonna do this project with the the tilt shift lens. I'm like. All right. And that's all I got told. And I'm like, okay, I've been waiting for the tilt shift for, uh, oh, five years now. <laughs> and it so finally, finally came out. So. Let's touch on that because a lot of people have been waiting for that tilt shift lens. And how has that uh, changed the way you do photography with uh, the GFX? Yeah. So it's very, very interesting because it's like, you know, my world is kind of split into two always. And it has it even got bigger during COVID. It's because it's like my environmental portraits are like a very, very big selection of what people know that I do. Yep. But then I have this whole other side of my my world, which is all food content creation. And, you know, I've been shooting food for over 20 years, uh, working with some of the top chefs in the world. And, you know, that's where it's like, you know, when the tilt shift came out, I was like, okay, I can start going back and shooting my food the way I used to shoot it on a four by five or the eight by 10 cameras. Um, so it was a big, big game changer, basically. The fact that it's like, I can change my plane of focus. I can, you know, do my rise and falls and keep my glasses straight. And, you know, my, my plates not from warping. And also I can lead the viewer through the scene without actually having to worry about doing it in post-production a lot. And so the, on the four by five, just to uh, clarify the, the, those bellows that you see on those cameras by moving that in it by tilting it <laughs> um you you change uh how it how it's uh focusing yeah so with a tilt shift lens or a bellow system just like a four by five or even like the six nine bellow system or anything like that you have your film plane and then you have your lens plane and then yep. what you want to be able to do is move your lens plane or your film plane individually so they basically become decoupled so normally they're running in parallel your film plane and your lens plane are the exact same so you tilt your camera you know nine or 70 or 45 degrees forward the lens plane tilts 45 degrees forward so now whatever's in focus is on that 45 degree tilt as well well, with the tilt shift lens or bellow system, you can actually move that lens plane back up to the 90 degree or you can tilt it even more. So you can play around with your focal plane. So wherever the lens is actually focusing. Likewise, you have a rise and a fall. So you can actually shift the lens up and down, um, just like we used to be able to rise or fall the front lens on a uh, on a four by five. So it just gives you more flexibility and more precise movement um, within your lens and sensor plane now. And since the way that Fuji's designed there, like the way the Fujifilm has designed their lens, you can actually rotate it on its axis wow. so you can 
do rise and fall pretty much in any of the 360 degrees around. Same with you can actually uh, tilt your lens in any of the 360 degree ways. So it gives you a lot of control within the actual um, photography because like even with my environmental portraits, I treat my food photography very, very similar because everything in my environmental portraits, like, you know, 90% of it is all done in camera. So even with my food photography, 90% of it is all done within camera. Very, very little post-production uh, goes into it. That's and, awesome. you know, it, it just speeds up workflow. Like we had a shoot last week that we were doing where, you know, we didn't get the recipes until two days before the shoot. And the shoot got delayed a week because the recipe, like the chefs didn't actually have the recipes done. So, you know, but it had to go out to a national campaign like on the second and we were shooting on the 31st and the first. So we had to deliver files on the first evening. And uh, like normally, you know, my retouchers or myself, we'd spend about an hour of file dust busting, doing all the corrections and everything like that. Um, but since we've gotten into such getting everything done in camera and then with the tilt shift, we were able to get client approval on set. And then the only thing we had to do in Photoshop was actually just dust bust, which was like, you know, 15 minutes per image. Yeah. And we we could get them out very quickly. So all of a sudden your workflow speeds up because you're doing everything in camera and then your client sees everything pretty much like it is in the final shot. So so having that tool was something that I've been waiting for. <laughs> and so, uh yeah, it's a it's a big thing. Prior to the tilt shift. I would imagine uh, the the way you're describing everything, you would need to focus stack, and that would just add more time. Is that right? Or yeah, so there's different things. Like for example, like if we're doing a top down shot, like you know, for a lot of food right now, um, one of the things that is in right now is doing top down tabletops, uh, where you have your whole place setting. So a lot of the times, what we'd have to do is, you know. They would want the main dish in focus, but then like the cutlery off the left and the right and like the other dishes not in focus. So that's where you would do like you bring it into Photoshop and then do a fake tilt shift. Right. So yeah. then it would blur it off to the side. Well, now when we're shooting top down, we can actually just do a, a, a traditional, you know, tilt on the lens and then blur the left and right in camera. So it's all it's all done in camera. Um, and also like you were saying, it's like, if we were doing like a deep shot, like on a three quarter view, like we did a cover earlier this, uh, before the tilt shift came out and, um, we had to make sure that everything was in focus in the cover because it was, uh, an ad shot. And that's where we had, we had to do multiple shots, focus stacked, and then brought it all back in. So, so that's where it's like utilizing a tilt shift we could get it done in one shot versus five or ten so that's awesome very cool yeah. and prior to uh working with uh fujifilm prior to switching to fujifilm you mentioned that you were using phase one and 
like how how is that experience like i i know we touched on it at the very beginning but what do you think the big differences are between the phase one cameras that you're using in the past to the let's say the first generation gfx like what was that 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 spark that made you switch to the gfx yeah, the, like utilizing the phase, uh, utilizing the phase cameras were amazing. Like, don't get me wrong, the color accuracy, the the colors that we could pull out of the phase kits, um, you know, it, they are a really beautiful camera to work with. Absolutely. The, they pioneered the, a lot of uh, medium format prior to Fujifilm. Exactly. And, you know, it's just... When the usability on location for me started to fall was the biggest thing. You know, for me, I was shifting over to doing a lot more work in remote areas. And, you know, it's where it's like, you know, audio focus and low light wasn't, you know, we needed to make sure of that. You know, having focus accuracy, we needed to make sure we had that. You know, having the capabilities of having two different cards in a camera um, was a big thing because, like with phase, like with our phase backs, we could only have a single card in the camera. So if that card failed, there was no data redundancy or anything like that. If we weren't able to tether to a laptop, um, having you know more frames per second was another one. And then it's also just starting, you know, doing different things um, that way. You know, the phase kits themselves were were great. Um, but when something went wrong, something went wrong big. Yeah. <laughs> and that was the biggest thing. So like, that's where it's like, usually for when I was shooting with my phase kits, we would always have two kits on site. So just imagine having two face cameras, like two full bodies, two full backs, two sets of lenses, everything on site was doubled. And uh, that gets extremely costly um, in the phase kits. And uh, the biggest thing, I think, for me, which was like the the aha moment was when we were switching and like playing around with like one, the autofocus and two, the colors. I needed to make sure that the colors, I could get very, very similar colors in my phase kits or in my Fuji kits as I did in my phase kits. And they excelled at that. And then the second one was the autofocus. Like when I shot with the 110 F2, like the GF, the GF 110 F2, there's just something special about that lens. Like it's, you know, if you've ever shot with it for a portrait, it's just absolutely stunning. And, you know, there's a couple lenses in the Fuji lineup, like the GF and the XF mount um, that are just very special lenses. They might not be the best lens, but they're just, they have a certain look. Yeah, they have a certain look to them that is just like, hmm okay, this is a lens that I actually really want to play with and I'll keep in the kit. So so there was, there was those things. And then also the size, you know, it, it, you know, it sounds weird as it's medium format versus medium format, but even just going from a phase kit down to a Fuji kit, you go from like a Pelican case down to something that you could take in your backpack. Yeah. And that was another thing that I was really, really interested in. 
And uh, yeah, so it just worked out. Now, like I was shooting uh, a lot of Fuji film, um, like actual film when I was in college and starting out um, back in the late 90s when I was apprenticing. And the the ability to get those film simulations super close again, like shooting Velvia for landscapes or shooting Provia for portraits or shooting Astia, you know, and then also going to Interna and all this type of stuff. Having those built in and then having Fuji behind it to give you color film sims was very very interesting to me and you know once i started diving into that color science a little bit more it was just kind of one of those things where it's like ah this is actually really amazing and uh within speaking with the engineers and then also like fuji's integration into capture one um later on was a massive massive um nod to being like yeah yeah this is a fully fledged commercial camera that you you don't have to worry about so comparing i'm curious with with this because because you were shooting film back in the day uh god the 90s (laughs) (laughs) back in the day in the 90s eh? Yeah, when uh, when when film was still king, and when you talked about digital, everybody laughed at you. Uh, what was what was your favorite film to use? So for me, my favorite film for shooting because like I was shooting a lot of product, but then like really high contrasty stuff. So like Velvia was one of my favorites. Um, But then, you know, we did a lot, a lot of work with Provia, like just their standard stuff. Um, I was shooting transparencies for most of the, the projects that we were doing. So that's where it's like those chromes, like having a four by five transparency and then throwing it on your light box was like, there was like nothing like it you looked at it and it was just like oh my gosh that's amazing um and that's where it's like even shooting because like i started shooting yeah a lot of a lot a lot of a lot of velvia back in the day because it was just the the look that was in and uh you know I, i it was the high high contrast you know a lot of outdoor stuff with it and uh which it was great it was a great product so you mentioned that you were uh apprenticing at that time what what was how how did you first get into photography what were you what were you shooting back then yeah so the way i got into photography was a little bit different um because my so my father was a master printmaker so he was doing like large format um photographic prints printing cibachromes which is prints from uh direct positives and all that type of stuff so i basically grew up with him owning his professional lab um up until the early 90s so i learned how to print make before i actually learned how to take pictures which is very different because it's like you know if you learn how to make amazing prints you know, you just learn a little bit about how everything works. Yeah. And then 
then like in the so that was before i was even graduating high school and um and then it's one of those things my parents definitely did not want me to get into into <laughs> photography at all because you know when digital started switching there was the big recession in the early well the the late 80s and all that type of stuff you know my parents lost their business we lost everything and they're like definitely do not go into the arts whatever you do do not go into the arts and sure enough here i am like you know <laughs> in high school and i'm apprenticing to be a a photographer because it's like oh i actually like taking pictures and i'm good at it and i know how to do it and uh so it was kind of one of those it's like okay and then they're like well what, what school are you going to so then I uh, went to a school in Ontario, uh, Sheridan College, um, very famous for animators um, up here in Canada. It's very well known for photography. And um, they became a client of mine the first year that I actually started at school with them. And I've had them as a client for 23 years. And so so it's a uh, so that's how I kind of got into photography. Um, but you know, it it hasn't had it. It's it's one of my career, like my career hasn't had its ups and downs either. Because it's like I was into photography, had my stuff going, and then about a year after I graduated um, from uh, the photography program, everybody like I was totally second guessing myself, and everybody's like, "Get a real job, get a real job." So I was like, "Okay, one thing in school that didn't." teach very much is the business side of it so then i was lucky enough to start working for an international manufacturer worked my way up to an executive position there traveled all over the us and canada um, working with them but then got very bored after about three years of that and if you've ever walked into your fiance's parents and your parents and say Yes, I'm leaving a very big executive position with a multinational <laughs> to go back to being a photographer. And uh, you can imagine what everybody was thinking. And uh, sure enough, did it. My wife supported me and, uh, you know, haven't looked back since. So, you know, having having a supportive wife is like absolutely amazing. Being a, uh, a creative, it's kind of one of those things that, you know, well, I'll never, never uh, be able to say appreciate my wife as much as I always have, right? So it's here, it's, here. It is a very important thing. So that is true, true words. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so back then, I mean, that that big switch from from film to digital. I, I mean, you were using the the larger format films so that didn't did that hit your industry as much as it did people using 35 millimeter oh it did definitely like it was one of those things where it's like even when i was apprenticing we were shooting large format film for doing like product catalogs or um like i i'll always remember that we were shooting like automotive parts with large format film and medium format film. And then when I was apprenticing in call it, well, yeah, 
just before college, that photographer got uh, the Nikon D1, which was a three megapixel camera. And yeah. he's like, okay, we're going to switch over and we're going to shoot this catalog all digital. And, but he didn't, and like he wasn't familiar with digital right out of the gate. So that's where it's like, okay, got in, started learning everything and adopted digital very, very quickly. And, um, yeah, it was it was a big switch because it's like you you kind of had to give up a lot of stuff that you were doing with like the four by five and the large format film, but actually look at what the ad agencies or the end users were wanting. And they wanted faster turnaround, increased productivity going from, you know, the shoot date all the way through to where they were going on press and everything like that. And uh, it was like the 2001, 2002, um, when I actually got my first full DSLR set. And that's when, you know, I was shooting Canon for DSLR. And then when Kodak came out with their 14C, which was like the biggest thing because it was, you know, 14 megapixels. It was like massive camera, super expensive for what it was. I um, remember that. Yeah, it was like this. That could take either Canon or Nikon lenses. Is, is that yeah, right? Yeah. So there was a Kodak 14N and a Kodak 14C. Yes. And yeah. So we got the 14C. Um, I got the 14C and it was like, that was a game changer because it's like 14 megapixels. We can do a double page spread and I have it at like decent resolution. It was just ecstatic. Um, absolutely a pain to use, <laughs> but you know, it, but it was one of those things where it's like, we could be on set and then get the files to the agency without having to do drum scans or scanning the negatives or scanning the positives yeah. the productivity for them was so great that they kind of forgave a lot of the the bumps on the road and uh yeah so i went through many many different systems like i was i was with canon for a long time and then i was with canon and phase before i switched exclusively all over to fuji because, you know, it's one of the, it was, we needed a 35 millimeter quote unquote full frame camera um, for doing a lot of the easy run and gun stuff. And then the phase kits for doing like the bigger stuff for the campaign work. But then once I saw that I could get it both done with one system, that's when everything changed into, okay, well, we only need, you know, the Fuji gf system to do 90 percent of the work the x the xf systems for the smaller stuff the travel stuff but like the gf will do all the autofocus work that we need everything that we need so so that was the big switch and that you know it, it was nice going from having multiple different systems down to just utilizing one manufacturers as well yeah so, you know, again, you know, it, it's interesting, the older that I get into it, it's like the more, sim <laughs> the more simplified I want to make things, right? Totally. So, and uh, that that's the name of the game now. It's like, okay, how can we simplify things and make things just smoother? What was your first uh, Fuji camera? So my very first Fuji camera was, I bought the... XT1, or no, it was probably the X Pro One. 
Oh, that was a with the three, yeah, with the three lens kit. So, and then I at the same time I bought that, I bought the first X100. And the only reason I bought them was because I was like, hey, I want to play around camera. And that's all yes. that I that's all that I thought they were until I actually started shooting with it. And then I'm like, oh, the X Pro One, like this is actually a cool camera. And uh, it's funny because it's like I have the X Pro One and the X Pro Two, um, and then I stopped buying the X Pro series and didn't go three. And uh, but yeah, we'll see what what comes out next with that. But again, it's like you know, I still love my X One Hundred series. And so, but but yeah, the X Pro One was my first Fuji camera, and because I still love tactile dials. I don't know about you, but like, it's, oh, it's, I love it. There's just something about it. It's like, that's why, like, even like I have some, like a lot of my friends or even some of my photographers in my studio, they're like, oh yeah, John, you, you know, definitely shoot with the X-H2 or the X-H2S. And I'm like, it's got no dials on it, guys. I'm like, I don't like it. I want to change my things tactilely. <laughs> and uh, they're like, yeah. No, it's got no dials, but it feels good. I'm like, yeah, no. It's like if I want to change my ISO, I just want to go up to the top dial and just change my ISO. If I want to change my shutter speed, I'll just change my shutter speed. And that's why I still love like the XT series. Like, you know, shooting with uh, the XT5 feels the exact same as when I shot with my XT1. Like, that's that's what's great about it is like, it still feels like a film camera and yeah, like I'll never like anytime I get a lens to test that doesn't have an aperture ring. Now I'm just kind of like, uh, how do I change the aperture? Where is it? What, what menu, what do I have to go into? How do I do it? And uh, I totally hear you, man. Yeah. it, It drives me crazy when I don't have an aperture ring and it's just like, I know because it's like sometimes like I'll flip, from wide open to like my clients a lot of times they'll be like yeah we want like we absolutely like we just had this happen last week they're like oh we love that shot we love that shot but can we get the background a little bit more in focus and it's like okay yeah so so like i'll just (laughs) flip it back and forth very easily um with the aperture ring but if i had to do it like dials and all this other stuff it's like ah it would just take time for me but uh but i guess that comes with you know growing up and also learning on fully manual cameras and that's where it's like my son he absolutely loves his xh2s absolutely loves it and he's like oh it's so great and look you can do like and i'm like yeah okay I'm like, there's that's why there's multiple cameras for different people, right? Exactly. So and it's funny because I back when I was uh back in the 90s, uh while you were apprenticing, I was uh getting bitten by the the photography bug when I was a writer for a newspaper and I had to learn photojournalism because of budgets. <laughs> Yeah, and, and so I was using a point and shoot at that time. Um, again, budgets. Uh, I had to bring my own point and shoot. Um, and, and then I went to Canon, and then from Canon I went to Fujifilm. And so I come from 
the 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 dial, uh, not the dial, but the you know changing things in camera. And so when Fujifilm had the 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 tactile you know knobs and and, and aperture rings, I I fell in love with it. I I I could not. Uh, I I I had to make this my my style because yeah. of just the just the sheer tactical feel of everything. And it took me a while to get into Fujifilm. Uh, I also started with the X Pro One and the X One Hundred. And uh, for for weddings in particular, that was difficult with the autofocus. But my God, did they change things fast with the X uh, XT two and uh, X Pro two? Oh, for sure. Yeah, like yeah. that was the that was the one thing that held me back in the beginning when that X Pro one, the autofocus was not there. So it, it's kind of like. I got them, shot with them for a while, and then it's just like you write, like you were just like, okay, yeah, no, they're great as like toy cameras, but they're not, they're not there for what you need. Yeah. And I totally understand what you mean about like the autofocus. And then, but yeah, they did. They they changed so quickly into like you said, like the XT twos and the the X Pro two, and then like the XT three was like game changer for a lot oh. of a lot of the different things and um it was just so interesting how fast fuji took user experience feedback yes like that was amazing and then the other thing that i always found fascinating is how long fuji has always given upgrades for their firmware and brought yes. Brought in stuff that's in their new release cameras, but also into the older cameras. Like when they introduced Classic Chrome, it's like, okay, yeah, Classic Chrome is going to be in the, you know, XT, I think it was the XT4. And they're like, oh, but we'll also give it to the XT3s and the X2s. And it's just like that interesting ecosystem about them always continually improving not only on the new releases but the older generation of cameras was kind of like huh this is something different like this is not like the typical like you know you got to buy it to get that one little thing right right and uh that made a huge difference um especially for like myself for my upgrade schedule classic chrome i remember being such a huge deal like 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 you said uh, at that time i was playing around with my xe2 yep and and having it having that like i counted down the days to that firmware was available for that too and i loved that film simulation and it was such a great feeling to have that it it was yeah it was christmas for me that day and that's the thing it, you know doing one little thing like that like just giving you another film simulation it basically revitalizes your camera fully like that, that that's what you know i found very fascinating because it's like you know giving one little film sim all of a sudden prolongs you from thinking oh i need that next upgrade i need that next thing which is actually like it's a really really important factor in today with uh, our upgrade 
um, schedules and people thinking and all that type yeah. of stuff. But but yeah, it's also I, become part of my pain point now because every, <laughs> now, now that they've stopped doing that, it, it just it just hurts. <laughs> it does a little bit, but see, but now what I'm finding is like their upgrades are actually like these massive upgrades. It's not just tiny upgrades anymore so so there's yeah it's kind of like it's that catch 22 right so yeah but but classic chrome was a big thing especially for a lot of uh street photographers going out classic chrome was like people were waiting for that and uh yeah no it's a like it's an amazing film simulation like i just shot a full project on classic chrome sim and uh it was for a uh the Raptors dance crew. So it was for a full dance pack and everything like that. And, uh, absolutely was a great, great workout for that. Do you have a favorite film sim? Um, for me, it depends what it is. Like I've, for a lot of my environmental portraits, we take a mix of Astia and nostalgia neg. And then kind of made my own recipe for oh, it. interesting. And utilizing like utilizing Capture One, um, I do all my post processing for all my color grading and everything in Capture One. <laughs> and what we can do is we can save our our simulations like our own styles in it, and then I can just let overlay that style whenever I want to and everything oh, like that. So, so utilizing capture one is, it's funny because it's like, it came from phase one, which you were only using capture one. Yep. And then now I'm like, I know capture one and in, in and out. So it's great that capture one and Fujifilm work together so seamlessly. And, you know, it's, uh, it's been a big benefit, um, knowing both and also like it's been a big benefit coming from phase because then it's like all the little phase tools that are in capture one are still there for fujifilm yeah so, so yeah I, but i should try capture one i i keep hearing that fujifilm looks great in in capture one i i've been a lightroom person for so long and fujifilm and lightroom have a wonderful relationship like oil and vinegar uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like if you do try capture one, like then there's some really like nuanced little things like when you're going in and you can actually just click on the side um when you're doing your um recipes and you can pull down all the film simulations that have actually been developed with the Fuji engineers. So the the software, it's like it's just so nice workflow. Uh, sorry, it's just such a nice workflow throughout. And then like even for me for tethering, which is a massive thing when I'm doing my environmental portraits. And then it's like we don't like having hard drives hanging off of our laptops or anything like that. But when you're tethering via Capture One, you can actually save internally to both SD cards and the computer. Oh. So, you, so you have it saved in three different places without any hard drives touching nice. anything so like that's redundancy built right in which we could never do with well i don't think you still i don't think you can do it with any other camera yet and um like i know 
couple of my friends were we were just playing around with some of their other cameras and it's like they're like oh yeah, yeah we want to save internally and over like you do john and it's like we plugged in their camera and it's like oh sorry you can't it, it, the, little, <laughs> the little box isn't there so so and uh yeah so it's uh like the integration between those two companies there's been such a good development on the back end and um you know you even with Lightroom, it's like you think you can pull and manipulate your raw files to the nth degree. But then once you pull it into Capture One, like once you pull in those RAFs into Capture One, you'll be able to change your thought process on how you actually color grade your photos. And you you can pull out so much more. And then likewise, you you can even up res even in a nicer manner as well because their their processing engine is totally different than what uh, adobe's doing you have me sold <laughs> <laughs> i will definitely give them a try now that my uh, wedding season is pretty much done for the year oh for sure and you know like yeah it's it's just a great program to try and they do like that's the nice thing too is they do give you a a, a trial license as well right so and uh you know and again, which i will definitely take advantage of oh for sure for sure cool well john it's been awesome having you on the show i i could just keep going on and on and i'd love to have you back on to talk shop and especially uh maybe around january if wink wink if uh fujifilm announces anything um <laughs> Uh, definitely have you back on to uh, talk shop and uh, keep going. Yeah, no, for sure. I'm I'm definitely here and would love to chat anytime. So, and uh, yeah, in the meantime, if there's any questions or anything like that, just have any of the listeners just uh, they can hit me up over on Instagram and um, yeah, tell the I, world where they can find you on the web. Yeah, so you can look up um, my environmental portraits all at jonathanbelaski.com. Um, just type my name in .com or just type my name in Google and you'll find it. Um, on Instagram, I'm at John, J-O-N, Belaski. And uh, if you do want to check out any of the food work and everything, my food company is called Farm to Fork Media. And so it's just Instagram at Farm to Fork Media and you'll see a bunch of different food stuff as well there. Oh, awesome. I'm going to friend you in the, right after this call. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, um, I'm a, I'm a total open book. So honestly, and it, people can ask me anything about like the photography business, Fuji film, anything. And you know, it's, I I'm been in the industry. I help a lot of junior shooters, um, go through a lot of different interesting times and, uh, but yeah, total open book. So ask me anything. Awesome. Great having you on the show, man. And uh, yeah, have a great holiday and uh, we'll, we'll talk soon. Sounds great. Thanks very much, Mark. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show and I hope to see you back next week. I wanted to also mention one more time that this is brought to you by Fuji Love Magazine. For the latest and greatest in all things Fujifilm X-Series and GFX, head on over to fujilove.com. Subscribe today. And my name is Mark Sadowski. You can find me on Instagram or Twitter. Mostly Instagram, though. I'm at Mark Sadowski. That's Mark with a C. And you can also check out my other podcast, X-Mark. It's a Fujifilm-esque kind of show. 
where it's more spice of life and pretty infrequent. But if you want more of my voice, that's the place to check it out. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you soon. Mm-hmm.